Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Oh, that was pitiful. Let's do that. Y'all, y'all screamed out yesterday in the ball games, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Okay. Let me ask again. How are you doing this morning? All right. That's better. I got the leftovers. I got it. Y'all supposed to be the alive crowd. This is the late crowd. I, I think I'm in the right place. Y'all supposed to be more alive. Well, let me give you something to shout about this morning. I looked up after uh, worship this morning, and I took the uh, the uh, pulpit here, looked on the back row, and a, a lady that I'd met at Starbucks probably over a year ago, <clears throat> first time I saw her, she walked in with a T-shirt on and said, this is what an atheist looks like. Uh, and uh, so uh, she walked in this morning and had service with us. She is a bona fide, card-carrying, legit atheist. And for some reason, she showed up at our church this morning. And I just want y'all to agree with me that the seed that was planted this morning is going to take root. I'll see her on uh, this week at Starbucks, I'm sure. And I'm going to talk to her and ask her what how it was. Somebody told me she's on the back seat shaking as we were talking. So that's a good thing. Y'all help me pray that we can just usher her right into the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Well, we just finished a series called Joyride. And this morning, I want to start a new series. I, I, um, I've been doing some reflecting a little bit about when I was a little boy uh, in my home church and some of the churches that I was a part of. And, and I noticed something. You know, long ago in church, they were prominent. They were prominent not only in the architectural design of our churches, but they were prominent in most of our memories. For some of you, it was padded. Uh, for others of you, it was like my earliest remembrance of an altar. It was uh, this wooden altar thing that had been shellacked a bunch so that as you would sit there and worship and pray and lay your head down when you tried to remove your head it would literally adhere to the wood and you'd pop it off and you oh is that that was your altar experience for for some of us maybe uh you've been in church services where the altar folded down it wasn't a thing you came to the front right there where you sat on the 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 chair the pew in front of you there was a a a rail type thing that you lowered down and you'd kneel on it it was an altar for some of you it was simply a rail for others it was a built-in feature of the sanctuary but for most of us it was probably an additional piece of furniture that was positioned up front and over the course of time, uh, it became the display area for offering plates and plastic flowers and crochet-covered tissue boxes. Anybody? Can I get old folks in the house to witness? Okay, I just, I, I just want to make that, that, that. It's an altar. It's an altar. And what I've realized is that regardless of our memory of an altar, or maybe even the lack of memory of an altar, What I've come to realize is that the concept of an altar is literally rooted in the heart of God. That's where it was birthed. In fact, uh, what I've learned is is that God never deviates from his his original revelation to man. God will expound on a revelation. He will build on a revelation. Uh, He may enlarge a revelation, but he never deviates from a, a, a revelation that he's given man. 
And all you've got to do is go back into the early account of man and from one of the earliest accounts that we have and one of the earliest revelations we have is about an altar. It, it's not even literally mentioned. You can go back and look at it. It's in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, an altar is never specifically mentioned, but you know the story. The story is the story of Cain and Abel. You know what takes place. Abel offers a sacrifice of the first fruits of his flocks. And it's not like he brought a, a, a lamb and, and, and sacrificed it and threw it up in the air and hope God found it. It, it without ever saying it there was literally an altar established there and uh, from the early moments God reveals to us this fact you got to catch this fact God meets man at an altar now now you can go on and, and, and what you discover is that the altar surfaces again in the life of Noah it, it surfaces in the life of Abraham. It surfaces in the life of Isaac. It surfaces in the life of Jacob. And there's very minimal information given about the specifics of the altar until we get to the life of Moses. And when you get to the life of Moses in Exodus chapter 20, the Bible says that God gives Moses very specific instructions upon how to construct this thing called an altar. And not only was he to construct the altar, now God gives this revelation that the altar becomes this prominent feature in the corporate worship of the people of God. It's right there out front where everybody can spend some time at an altar. The, the original revelation continues throughout the landscape of Scripture. In fact, uh, altars are mentioned 370 different times in Scripture. The message is abundantly and crystal clear. God meets man at an altar. Now, that is not a new revelation to you. If you've been in church more than 15 minutes, at least uh, uh, the kind of churches I've been in, you recognize that the altar is a prominent experience. It should be an experience that we all have. So the, the altar is not a new revelation. But may I submit to you this morning that although the altar is not a new revelation, for many of us it is a foreign concept. There is a difference. Just because we have the revelation doesn't mean that we practice the revelation. And so for many of us, the altar experience is a foreign concept. And so over the course of the next few weeks, uh, uh, we're going to talk about the altar. We're going to find out why the altar is so important and what God wants to accomplish in our lives through this altar experience. And so this morning, all I want to do just for a very few minutes is I just want to lay some groundwork from which we will kind of catapult into the coming weeks. I just want to spend a few moments and try to express to you the necessity of an altar. If you will, I want you to join me in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's a passage of Scripture that you can quote. Uh, if you attended children's church or Sunday school, uh, Bible quiz, Bible quest, any, any uh, sword drills, uh, you know this passage of Scripture. Uh, I won 25 cents, I'm sure, at one, other, one time or other in Sunday school when they'd say the first person that can find this passage of Scripture. It was so easy to find, we can quote it. It's Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2, listen to what it says. It says, this is Paul writing, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect 
will. Altars, altars, altars. Two things, and then I'll be out of your way. Paul makes it very clear that we are called to live an altered lifestyle. Paul uses these words in the King James, the way I learned it when I was little, it was, I beseech ye, brethren. The, the word beseech means I urge, I plead. It's literally this concept of I'm begging you. I'm down on my knees and I'm begging you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and accept. Y'all, y'all can quote it too, I know. Paul is literally begging us to live an altered lifestyle. I submit to you this morning that it would have been much easier if Paul had simply called us to visit an altar in a building occasionally. But that's not what he's calling us to. I, I think it would. I, I, I think that Paul would. I wish Paul. Paul, come on, bro. Let us off the hook. Just talk about the altar at church. Call us to that place that that wooden bench, the built-in steps, the flip-down rail, the the, the 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 shellacked wood. Call us to one of those places. Those buildings that we only have access to on a Sunday morning. Call us to that kind of altar. But that's not what Paul was calling us to. Although we ought to use those. I believe what Paul was saying to us is that that he's not just talking about a physical altar, he's talking about an altered lifestyle. A, a way of living in which we are, when we're in the car, when we're at work, when we're at Starbucks, we're constantly laying our life down at his feet. It's a daily, minute by minute, second by second, hour by hour, dying to ourself, dying to our will, dying to our way, dying to us, dying to the old man. We're called to live an altered lifestyle. Perhaps uh, the message interpretation of this uh, passage better helps us grasp the concept that Paul was trying to drive home. It says it like this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. It's an altered lifestyle your everyday eating sleeping going to work walking around life Paul is saying I'm begging you lay all of that at his feet position yourself at a daily altar and sacrifice yourself to him only problem with a living sacrifice is that a living sacrifice has a tendency to crawl off the altar and so Paul says it's got to be every day, every day. In spite of Paul's desperate plea for us to submit ourselves and to make a covenant to live in an altered lifestyle, I would submit to you, and I think I can back it up, that we, in fact, avoid the altar. Uh, the fact that it's so hard to get people on a Sunday morning to come to a physical altar in a church. I've done some checking around. I've done some asking. What I've come to realize is that my pastor friends are telling me that it's almost, it's like pulling eye teeth. I, I could get you to come down here to get $5,000, but I can't get you down here to get it any time in the altar. Young, y'all got, 
Okay. We avoid the altar. And what I think is is that the, the fact that it is so increasingly difficult to get people to take time to come to a physical altar in a service is in fact only a reflection of this problem. Not only do we avoid altars in church, we are avoiding our daily altar. Why? So, so, so if that's the case, and I believe it is, if we are avoiding the altar, then we have to ask this question, why? Why do we continue to avoid what we know, even though it, 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 it speaks of death? Why do we avoid death when, when we in fact know that at the altar we really find life. Anybody in, in here, I'm going to age you again. Anybody in here remember when medicine tasted bad? Don't, not, not one of you young folks raise your hand because y'all don't even, y'all don't even have a clue. Y'all remember when medicine tasted bad? Uh, yeah, I, I can literally remembering being, remember being sick as a dog and my mom would take me to the doctor and we would get medicine and after taking one dose, I would refuse. I ain't never taking that again because it's nasty. I knew it was beneficial and I knew it would bring relief and yet I would hold health at arm's length because I didn't like the taste that sounds like an altar so what we've learned to do now for all you young folks is what we've learned to do now is we add bubblegum flavor and grape flavor and we're able to hide the taste of what you otherwise would not be willing to consume. The only problem and dilemma this morning is is that there is absolutely no way to sugarcoat or make the altar attractive. No way to do it. I wish we could do it, but there is absolutely no way for me to flavor or sugarcoat the altar experience. In fact, I would say to you, we avoid the altars because they're ugly. It doesn't matter how ornate you make them. It doesn't make you matter how much gold you put on them. It doesn't matter how beautiful they are to the natural eye. The fact is, is that we avoid the altar because the altar is a place of pain and the altar is a place of death. In fact, the, the Hebrew word for altar literally means to slay or to slaughter. And in the New Testament, the word used for altar means a place to or a place of sacrifice. It is a bloody and a painful scene. In the Old Testament, uh, the altar experience was not a pretty scene. The priest's duty, they were instructed that they would take an animal and slit the throat of that animal and they would catch the blood of that animal and then they were required to sprinkle the sides of the altar with the animal. Then they would take all the leftover blood and they would pour it out at the base of the altar. And in the course of their duties, in the one year, at the minimum, the, the bottom line, just the lowest number possible, they would sacrifice over 1,300 animals. It was gory. It was nasty. It was not the job for someone with a weak stomach. It was not for the squeamish. But we've got to remember, Cain brought a bloodless offering to God. And it was rejected. Cain may have thought that it would be far more refined and far more cultured to bring a fresh fruit and vegetable tray to the Lord and offer that as sacrifice. But because there was no blood at the altar, he was rejected. 
and I wished I could flavor or sugarcoat the altar for you, but the truth is is that there's nothing pretty and there's nothing pleasant about the all our genuine altar experience. There's nothing fun about it. God meets man at an altar, and at an altar all of our issues are revealed and all of our weaknesses are revealed and all of our shortcomings are revealed because he knew that in order for us to taste life, we must first taste death. The results and the effects and the outcome of an altar experience can be enjoyable, but we avoid death that takes place there. And the honest truth is, is that many of us would do ourselves good if we would die more frequently than we do. We avoid the altar not only because it's ugly and not only because it's painful, not only because it's bloody, but we avoid altars because it requires time. Get me in and get me out, preacher. I got stuff to do. We, we avoid altars because they require preparation. You can't arrive at an altar unprepared. We avoid altars because it requires us to adjust our schedules. We avoid altars because it requires us to pause. We, re, we avoid altars because it requires inward examination. Jesus' altar experience is the perfect example of of our avoidance of altars. It's found in Luke chapter 22. I'm not going to take time to read it. You know the story. Jesus facing his death, his, his impending death, goes and makes an altar in a garden. He takes several disciples along with him to pray with him. And in that encounter, we see a picture of what altar is really about because Jesus' experience at the altar was, a, was an experience of pain. He was isolated, number one. He was all by himself. He brought disciples. They slept through the experience. He was all by himself. An altar experience will bring you to the place where it's just you and God. It doesn't matter who's beating you on the back with a big Bible. It doesn't matter who's saying hold on. It doesn't matter who's saying let go. All, when you have a genuine encounter with God in an altar, it's just you and him. And it's painful. It was a painful experience for Jesus. You know the, the story. He, he prayed until his sweat became great drops of blood. He, he, he worked at this thing. It took significant time. The disciples slept through it. He went and woke them up several times and said, Couldn't you even tarry with me one hour? It took inward examination. You go read the account. Jesus, in, during his altar encounter with God, has this self-examination thing going on because he suddenly recognizes I've got a will and my will doesn't line up with my father's will so he comes to this place at an altar where he says God not my will but your will be done nevertheless your will be done there was inward examination that took place there and because we don't like the altar we try to sanitize it and clean it up we want an altar with no blood. We want an altar with no sweat. We want an altar with no agony. We want an altar with no work. So what we do is when we talk about Jesus' altar experience, we paint it with this halo, with Jesus looking up, with this halo effect all around him as if he's at some holy picnic. And I don't want you to make any mistake about it this morning. It wasn't a picnic. In fact, fire the painter. Give him a pink slip. They got it all wrong. Because if they were really painting what took place in that altar experience, they would have painted a battlefield. They would have painted a, a, a strenuous time. We want this clean, short-stop, convenient altar experience. And those kind of altar experiences are totally foreign to Jesus. In fact, I would submit to you this morning that our avoidance of the altar has caused us to become a Saul generation. What does that mean? That means we love worship more than we love the Word. 
We love worship because in worship, the music soothes our demons. But we have forgotten that music doesn't drive out demons. It soothes demons. The only thing that drives out demons is the Word of God. And you don't wrestle in worship. In worship, you don't wrestle with God's Word. You don't, you don't, you don't even, a lot of times, don't even apply God's Word. It's about you getting your feel-good on and you getting your praise on. And then we leave here feeling better. But we never get to an altar where we actually wrestle through the Word of God that's come forth and cause us to change. And so as a soul generation... We want to feel good. We just don't want to become good. That's why people will stand for hours in worship to get all the feel good. And as soon as the preacher takes the platform, they, they exit. I don't need that word. Just, just sing to me. Paul says, I beg you, plead with you, cry out to you. Please, please, please live an altered lifestyle. He goes on and he, he makes this, uh, this, 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 this connection that an unaltered life leads to a cultured life. Y'all missed that. I won't say it again. An unaltered life, according to Paul, what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, an unaltered life leads to a cultured life. Paul calls us to this altered lifestyle because he knows that without an altar is a prominent feature and experience in our life, we will become cultured. We begin to think like, and eventually we will begin to act like the culture around us. Be ye transformed. Don't, don't con conform to the culture around you. Well, how do I do that, Paul? I spend time at an altar. I spend time laying my life down. Because if I don't lay my life down, I become like the culture. And isn't that where we are today? Divorce rates just the same as our culture. Viewing habits the same as our culture. Attitudes the same as our culture. Goals the same as our culture. Stress the same as our culture. I wonder why. Because we are living an unaltered life and it leads us to become like our culture. Paul is clear that what we need in our daily life is a place of death to kill the collapse of morals. The reason that we see the collapse of morals not out there, in here. It's because we don't ever stop long enough to check with Jesus to see if what we're doing is right. Paul is clear that it is only at an altar, that the only place to fight off the tendency to become more like our culture than our king is at an altar. He's very clear that, that it is at an altar that we die to the disease of deception. It is at an altar that we are inoculated against the invasion of culture. So my question to you this morning is, have you spent any time at an altar? Do we more closely resemble Christ? Or do we resemble our culture? And the only way to more resemble Christ is to actually spend some time getting to know Him. I know you get to know Him in praise and worship. But when is the last time that you died at an altar? See, I, I, I'm, I, I need you to understand. The altar brings us back to God. 
the original revelation has not changed. God meets man at an altar. At an altar. And so let me just jump on Paul's bandwagon and call the people of Passion Church back to an altered lifestyle. Let me, let me jump on Paul's bandwagon and say to you that as a believer, as a born-again believer, you've got to build an altar, one beyond just what you experience in here. In your car, there needs to be an altar. In your shower, there needs to be an altar. At work, there's got to be an altar. At school, there's got to be an altar where on a daily, regular, minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment, you lay down your life. I sincerely long and plead for you to see you flood the altars of this church I believe that will be an indication that my real prayer the one that I pray that you don't know about is being answered because my real prayer and my real desperate plea is that each and every one of us would establish a daily killing place in our own lives a lifestyle that lays every decision every action Every relationship, every response, every word, every thought, every action, every viewing choice, every habit, every addiction, every weakness, every strength at the feet of the one who was slain at an altar for us. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as a living sacrifice. God meets us. the altar. So my question to you this morning is when was the last time you actually spent any time altered? Here? At home? I know it's painful and I know it's ugly and I know it gets bloody but if you don't you become cultured. So how hypocritical would it be of me to preach to you about altars and then not give you time to visit one? One of the things that we're going to do during this series, it's the reason we flipped the script on you. It's going to be a challenge. We've got to figure out how to do this each week. We've got some special things happening. Next week we have baby dedication. I'm still not sure how we're going to pull this off, but we're going to make it happen. I've told the worship team that I'm going to shorten my message not because of what I got to say is unimportant because it's the word of God I, I just really sense that this is a pivotal moment in our church that God is trying to call us back to spend some time at a physical altar in a building in hopes that when we die in here we'll learn to die out there
So here are your instructions. We're not going to dismiss. Nobody's going to take this microphone again and dismiss you. You're free to go. With one caveat. The worship team's going to come and play. And as they play, I'm going to encourage you to find a place to die. Whether that's at your chair, whether that's at the front. Here's the caveat. You're free to go when you've met God. You are free to exit the building when you've taken time to meet God. Father, this morning I just simply pray that as we make our way back to an altar in a physical location, that the concept of daily dying and daily laying our life down as a living sacrifice would once again invade our life and we would begin to check every decision, every thought, every relationship with you. God, for many of us in this room, it has been a long, long time since we took significant time at an altar to meet you. We've grown comfortable in the convenience of one hour and out. And for many of us, it's been months and perhaps years since we knelt down in a physical location and checked in with you. And Father, this morning I pray that as painful as the altars may be and as painful and gory as it may become, I pray that in this moment today, we've got plenty of time. We're on vacation, God. There's nothing to do all day. I pray that you would alter us and help us to fight off culture as we check in with you. Help us, God. I pray, I plead, I beg to become living sacrifices once again. Meet with us, I pray today, in Jesus' name. You're free to find a place to build an altar this morning. It can be up here. It can be where you're seated. I just encourage you this morning to check in with God and spend some time with Him.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.